Hello and welcome to another episode of Need to Read. Now this episode is going to be a book review of two books. One being Empire of the Summer Moon, Kwana Parker and the Rise of the Fall of the Comanche Tribe. That's written by S.C. Gwynn. The second book I'm going to be reviewing is Cows Can't Jump by Philip Baum, which is a very funny novel um, that I actually read in a day. And before I get into that, I need a couple of you to sign up to my email list, so I'm going to chuck the link in the description here. I'll send you an email maybe once or twice a week, usually try and make it informative, always entertaining, so you know what to do. And before we get into things, just a little word about our affiliate slash sponsors, Pure Sports CBD. Now, I've actually been taking the CBD tincture from them for about two weeks now, and one of the most notable sort of things for me is the dip in anxiety. Um, it's something that I've been dealing with for quite a long time. I remember taking CBD in the past where I'd noticed a slight dip in anxiety, but I wasn't particularly anxious at the time. Now, on the Pure Sports CBD website, you can do you can take a little quiz and they'll recommend you the right products. If CBD is something that you'd be interested in having a look at, head to puresportscbd.com and take their quiz. See what products would work for you. If you're happy with everything and you want to purchase some, then use the code a need to read 20 and you'll get 20% off there. Nice and easy. So that is a need to read 20. That is the word to, not the number. Different to the Instagram. So make a note. A need to read 20, 20% off. So let's get into the episode. Back on the book reviews. It has been a while since I've done this, and I know I always say that when it's been a while. But it's nice to be sat here in my chair talking about books to you guys again. So I'm going to start off with Empire of the Summer Moon. So this is a book that Bro Rogan, Joe Rogan, talks about an awful lot. And he says it's one of his favourite books ever. It is a non-fiction history book. Not my usual cup of tea. Um, not something I'm going to rush back to, if I'm being completely honest. Mainly because my capacity for learning seems to be capped at whatever is below non-fiction history books because these are intense on statistics and facts and names and dates it was just it was a lot processing in it and it did take me about three or four weeks to read uh, the words are quite small in the book um actually they're not that small but there's about 400 odd pages so for me moderately small words 400 odd pages that's a pretty big book like it takes a lot of time to read something like that but as Joe Rogan spoke about it so much and if I was to have a god it would be him I thought I'd give it a go and the story follows Quanah Parker now Quanah Parker was the last sort of living leader of the Comanche tribe and the Comanche tribe were some of the most brutal Native American tribes out there because they had absolutely mastered horseback fighting and when I talk about brutal, I'll get into that in a moment. Um, but what I want to sort of say as a disclaimer, from reading this book, it seems that both sides were as bad as each other when it came to brutality, um, which makes you kind of question the settlers that came into America because they'd grown up in a world where there was religion and they were guided by philosophy and religion in terms of morals, um, whereas the Native Americans, they, they hadn't been. Uh, they'd been essentially in an untouched land for years and years and years, so they weren't 
they weren't morally on on the same level as the settlers so that makes me question the settlers behavior even more um and if i'm going to pick a side here i feel very very sorry for the native americans um who essentially had their land stolen from them by a bunch of people that just rocked up on boats and like yeah we fancy this bit of land actually um but i'll get into a little bit more about the story of quana parker and i've written a timeline here because honestly it is hard to keep up with this book and it was very very hard and i was making like some notes as i went along but um there's about two-thirds of the book that i I'm pretty sure I can't even remember reading really. Um, but the story of Quanah Parker starts in 1836. He wasn't actually born at this time. Um, his mother, Cynthia Ann Parker, at the age of nine years old, her ranch, the Parker Ranch, was attacked by Native Americans. They kidnapped Cynthia Ann and five other members of her family. So at nine years old, she was taken away and she was in and amongst the savages, as it were. Um, now, just to let you know, any language that I use uh, in this podcast about Native Americans, it's it's coming from the book. Uh, if it's not PC, like, it's come from a book. Don't, don't shoot the messenger, bro. Um, so she was living amongst the savages. She was... They, they liked her for some reason. Um, and they looked after her. But for the first like couple of years, it was a pretty tough time. Whenever the Native Americans were kidnapping people, they'd essentially tie them to the back of the horse and be like, right, well, you're coming with us, but you're not good enough to be on a horse. So they'd walk them. Um, one of the Parkers who was kidnapped had a baby with them, and the Native Americans thought the baby would be too much hassle. So one of them strangled the baby. We're talking like a few months old. When it seemed that the baby was still alive... They tied the baby to the back of a horse, chucked it in some uh, cactuses, and rode off with the horse. So it just shredded the babies to bits. Like it's it's mental that this stuff went on, and it's absolutely brutal. But there's a lot of that throughout this book. Um, so if you need to open your eyes up to what real colonialism looked like, and and from both sides, then yeah, this book could be quite good for you. Um, by 1948, so 12, 12 years on from when Cynthia Ann Parker was kidnapped, Quana was born. So that's her son. Now, obviously, Cynthia Ann Parker was white and the war chief who she'd married and had a baby with was a Native American. So Quana was um, mixed race, which didn't stead him too well uh, when it came to sort of being accepted by tribes. But I'll come to that in a moment. Now... Around the time of 1960, on the timeline of Quanah Parker, Cynthia Ann was recaptured by the Americans. Um, she didn't enjoy life like back with the Westerners. Um, and and when she was recaptured, Quanah's Parker was killed, but it's something that he just denied, denied, denied. So his mother has been captured. Quanah and his brother Peanuts, but like Peanuts was his actual name, um, obviously he got the short straw with the names there and they were both mixed race and they were struggling to find new communities but at the age of 12 Quana went off in his uh, on his own into the wilderness to find a new tribe to live with because his mother had been sort of recaptured or kidnapped um, by the American settlers the western settlers so as he goes away at 12 years old 
mixed race. There's not much going for him, really. But what he did have going for him was his white jeans. And that sounds really weird to say, but it made him taller than a lot of the um, kids that were already sort of 12-year-olds in Native American society. So by the time he was 16, he was pretty much a fully grown man in reference to everyone else. He did struggle, like getting food, getting accommodation, being accepted because he was half white, half Native American, they weren't too keen on him. By the age of 19, he'd married someone, uh, but that person had already been arranged to be married to someone else. So they eloped and they ran away. And this is where Kwana really came into his own. He was stealing horses all across um, the southern states of America. So what's now like Texas and Oklahoma. And he made his own tribe, his own sort of branch of the Comanche tribe. And he came out as as the leader of of that tribe which i mean it's pretty impressive at 19 i don't really know what 19 year olds were like then but someone told me to lead a tribe at 19 let me tell you if you're part of that tribe you'd be fucked there was a bit of a rivalry um that kwana had with an american general or army official called mckenzie he actually ended up surrendering to him in 1875 but up until then and that point, the Native Americans have been doing absolute bits in the wars against the Americans because they could fight on horseback. So their accuracy with a burn arrow from horseback was beating the Americans who had proper rifles. Now, the rifles, I mean, to be fair to them, took about a minute to load. Um, so they're pretty stuffed after that first shot. But the revolver, if anyone knows, like a, a, a big, like, Colt revolver, like Colt 45 is like a weapon that I've heard people rap about before. I'm not too sure about the American weapons. I can tell you about English ones, but not not American. Um, That was invented in 1847 and it had some glitches and it didn't come about for another like 10, 15 years until it became the Colt revolver six shooter. So you could have six shots that would be let off pretty instantaneously. It's like a semi-automatic pistol. That's what really edged the Americans... Um, or the settlers, whatever you want to call them, um, over the Native Americans in the end. But for a long, long time, the Comanche tribes were just fucking everybody up with their burn arrows, which I think is pretty sick. Um, other things worth noting from this book, which I'm sure many of you may not read unless you're into history, is about the buffalo in America. The settlers that came in, the Spanish, the English, the European... They obviously had a taste for buffalo meat and buffalo fur because there was about 3 million culled within the space of about three years, which, like, to put it into perspective, is a lot of big cows, right? A lot of big cows. One of the, like, favourite things for Comanches to do when it comes to buffalo was drink the milk out of the calf's stomach. So once they'd killed a buffalo calf they would drink the curdled milk out of the stomach. I'm sure it's calorie dense, and I'm sure it tastes like shit. Um, So thank God that we don't have to do that anymore. Another example of the settlers fucking over the Native Americans is when they bought the land off them. They tried to buy 2 million acres off them for about 40 cents a piece, and 
like it, it, it didn't make sense financially at all. Like even back then, that was absolutely nothing for the land that they were buying. So I think in the end they got about 60, 70 cents for it, which was still way under what they need. And it was Kwana that led those negotiations uh, in the late 1800s with the sort of government officials. Let's talk about one story before, because I've realised I've been on this book for a long time, and it's not even a book that I loved. I didn't even really like it that much, but it was there was a lot of interesting things in there. Um, but that only equates to about ten percent of what went on in the book. And it's a really interesting story about Quanah Parker when he was living in and amongst the white people in the late eighteen hundreds, and his neighbour came around for dinner, and he made a comment about how the Americans had forced the Native Americans off their land, so. When his neighbour asked him to explain it, Connor asked him to come and sit next to him on a log. When he was on this log, he said, okay, move over. So the guy obliged and he moved over. Connor moved up next to him. Move over again. Guy obliged, Connor moves up next to him. So that's shoulder to shoulder. This continued until the point that the neighbour had fallen off the log. When he was on the floor, Connor looked at him and said, that's what it was like. That's what it was like when you came in and essentially moved us out. Which highlights how fucked up colonialism was. It's something we don't really learn about too much in school. I don't think. Well, I certainly don't remember it. It's kind of glorified, like the um, the British colony or like the British Empire. And I'm pretty sure we would have gone into loads of countries like India, um, like c- countries in Africa, and done this kind of thing, like brutal murders like mass genocides of of races of people and i just think it's a bit disgusting so although you might not want to read this book i think educating yourself about colonialism and stuff like that is an important thing to do because it does go to show that some of our ancestors were not so good people if you know what i mean so that'll be it for the empire of summer moon i feel like i dragged it out even though there was a lot to get through i probably could have gone through a lot more but Who's going to like it? People that like history. Who's going to like it even more? People that like Native Americans and Native American history and want to read about all the gory details that went on back then. Now let's talk about Cows Can't Jump. So a quick switch up to Philip Bounds' Spotlight First Novel Prize. So he won that. Um... I've I've been speaking to Philip actually quite a lot since he sent me this book very kindly and he's a pretty sound guy. Um, looking into why he wrote the book, it actually started as a dissertation when he was doing a creative writing course at uni um, and it was a, about a load of cows that were committing suicide. Um, that gave him the idea for the book. The book isn't so much about cows that can't jump but it's more about a guy called Billy. Um, Billy lives in Cheltenham and... He's a legend from from reading this book. I read this book in one day. I'd had a bit of a, a tough morning. And I was like, do you know what, today I'm just going to sit and I'm just going to read this book. When was, people have sent me books before and they might have just sent me a Kindle copy of it or something. And I'm feeling like, I don't know if there's that much effort in just sending someone a PDF file. And if it's not a book that's really grabbing my attention, I'm not inclined to just read it straight away. But I wanted to give this a go because... Um, on on the back, on the blurb of the book, it says, Billy's desperate to escape. He works the ultimate dead-end job as a grave digger 
and things only get worse when his granddad becomes engaged to a woman half his age. To top it all off, his dad's obsessed with boxing and his mum's having an affair. Celebrities keep dying and Britain awaits the EU referendum. Billy can't take it anymore. Meeting Eva, though, changes everything. She's passionate about Russian literature, Gary Newman, wind farms and chai tea, and Billy gambles everything for a chance to be with her. So this book goes into a lot of social issues. One, immigration. Two, gambling. Three, affairs. and Old men marrying young women. It was a brilliant book and I absolutely loved it. I literally sat there all day having a little read through with intermittent like messages to Philip, the author, just saying, oh my God, I can't believe how much I love this book. Because, like, if you've been listening for a while, you know I'm not massive on novels. Um, Matt Haig's The Midnight Library and Skippy Dies, books that I've spoken about before, they did kind of change my mind on novels. Um, but this Cows Can't Jump, it was honestly brilliant. Um, just to read you the first couple of paragraphs, which really hooked me. And I'm pretty sure every paragraph hooked me in this book. But I'll give you the first couple. And it's written from the perspective of Billy. In 2016, I punched my dad in the face. There's a lot of things I did that year that I'll never be able to forgive myself for. A lot more than I'd like. Punching my dad in the face wasn't one of them. That was one of the few good things I did. At the start of the year, I was living with my mum and dad. I was fresh out of school, working the ultimate dead-end job. I was employed as a gravedigger. Mum and dad had hoped I'd take A-levels, but I wasn't good at anything. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I don't think anyone knows what they wanted to do. People pretend. I'd quit school as the government announced a referendum on Britain's membership of the EU. Everyone was talking about it across the country. It caused lots of arguments. Relatives, friends, colleagues, strangers in pubs. Everyone was fighting. I don't think I had an opinion on the referendum. I don't think I had an opinion on much. I only knew that I disagreed with my parents on everything. Well, I mean, if that's not going to get you interested, I don't know what will. But... This book is brilliant. It goes into so much. The character development, which is something I never thought I'd ever say, um, of Billy was brilliant because you see him grow in confidence as the book goes on. Um, the people that he worked with in the grave digging job almost reminded me of the people that worked in the garage on the Inbetweeners with Will. Um, just that real like old school lad behaviour that's just a bit of a bell end. Um, that was an entertaining chapter he teases where the title comes from as well which i thought was really good um and he talks about gambling um and goes into like the issues of that now if you want let's just talk about gambling very quick because when i was younger i was way too into gambling and it got to a stage once where i had, I had to sit down with my mum and i cried shock obviously we're not shocked um and I was like, I think I'm addicted to gambling because every day I was putting these stupid bets on. I'd lost, like, I'd lost a lot. I reckon overall I definitely wasn't up and I was definitely down. But um, I, was, I was fortunate enough to catch it before I went into any sort of debt. But, like, gambling's a dangerous game. Me and my friend Tom that I used to work with, he won't be listening, but shout out, Tom. Um... We used to bet on like FC Goa United in India just for something to do at like two o'clock on like a Wednesday. And this was only maybe two, three years ago maximum. It can really, really grip you. So all I'm saying is next time you think you're going to put a bet on, probably don't do it. Um, not worth it because if it does grip you, 
it grips you hard. Um, so likely went into the implications of gambling. I think that was quite a good thing. Um, there's loads of like little throwbacks as well because I think if you think back to 2016, like 2020 is obviously quite a weird year, right? Like I think we can all agree on that. There's a couple of things that I probably wouldn't put past this year, like a zombie apocalypse could happen. Who knows? Got like what three months left? Let's not put it past 2020, people. But 2016 was weird. Like if you think back to the EU refer referendum and like what was going on, um, I always remember that there was that woman like in Bristol or something. They're like, oh, so they're gonna talk about doing a referendum? She's like, oh, not another one. For goodness sake. One of my favourite clips from BBC News ever. Um, so yeah, 2016 was a weird year. Pokemon Go came out that year. Remember when everyone went nuts for Pokemon Go? Just so, so much stuff. Um, so when he talks about Eva, Billy meets Eva in the book when he goes and works um, at like a school summer camp. She's from Switzerland. Falls in love with her. When just the way... He, Billy is, he's just brilliant. Like, he talks about him being a virgin and, like, talks about his experience with girls. Um, I'm I'm actually speaking to Philip. Well, actually, on the day of the re release of this podcast, I'm going to be recording a podcast with Philip about what it was like to release and sort of write this book and his process, which I'm really, really excited for. So you can expect another episode centred around Cows Can't Jump. So... I won't give you too much because there's going to be two opportunities for you to decide whether or not this is the book for you. Um, but look, you'd be supporting a new author if you did get it. Um, he's a really, really nice guy. The book is absolutely brilliant. And that's that's all I can say about it for now because I'm, I'm going to have a chat with him soon about it. I've got lots of questions about like the process of writing that he went in and why he wrote certain things, whether that came from like personal experience. I'm really, really excited for that. So, although I spent less time speaking about Cows Can't Jump than I did speaking about Empire of the Summer Moon, Cows Can't Jump is way above Empire of the Summer Moon for me. Way, way above. Um, and maybe that's because I need to start reading more novels um, and getting into it. But that's that's a thought. Are you reading too much non-fiction at the moment? I'd like to ask you that question. So yeah, think about that. Are you are you spending too much time reading non-fiction and learning and not giving your brain enough space? So getting into a good novel can really, really kill the time. And like I said, like I had a really bad day last Wednesday and this book absolutely saved the day. So big shout out to Philip Baum for writing that book and sending it to me. Thank you so much for that um, absolute legend. Uh, obviously the episode, I'm going to wrap it up just with a quick Empire of the Summer Moon give that a three stars, cows can't jump, he's getting a five stars straight away, um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what else comes from Philip Bowne as an author, and yeah, just buzzing, <laughs> I hope he writes another book soon, because uh, I, I want more, the episode wouldn't be wrapped up in the correct manner if I didn't go into the philosophy slash stoic thought of the week, this does come from the daily stoic again, um, and this one is don't be inspired be inspirational and it comes from Seneca moral letters so let us also produce a bold act of our own and join the ranks of the most emulated so I'll just repeat that because it's quite short you might not have got it let us also produce some bold act of our own and join the ranks of the most emulated now Ryan Holiday describes this as 
It was common in Greek and Roman times, just as it is now, for politicians to pander to their audience. They would lavish a few praise on the crowd, on their country, on inspiring military victories of the past. How many times have you heard a political candidate say, this is the greatest country in the history of the world? As Orator Demonethes pointed out, Sorry, as Orator Demonethes pointed out, we'll gladly sit for hours and hear a speaker who stands in front of the famous and sacred landmark, praising ancestors, describing their exploits and enumerating their trophies. But what does this flattery accomplish? Nothing. Worse, the admiration of shiny accolades distract us from their true purpose. Also, as Demonethes explains, it betrays the very ancestors who inspire us. He concluded in his speech in an Athenian people with words that Seneca would later echo and still resounds, resounds centuries later. Reflect then, he said, that your ancestors set up those trophies, not that you may gaze upon them and wonder, but you may also imitate the virtues of the men who set them up. The same goes for quotes in this book and for other inspiring words you might hear. Don't just admire them, use them, follow their example. Now, I'm reading a little bit more into Stoicism at the moment, and I'm reading Ryan Holiday's Lives of the Stoic book. Um, what's interesting to see is like the, the words of Seneca, they weren't written like in intention to be in a book. They were written as letters to people. So, like moral letters, they were written as letters to people, which almost makes them um, like better as if they're written, because there's not too much thought into it. It's just a conversation between friends that were obviously split apart geographically, so he had to write a letter. So he wasn't showing off for the purpose of a book that he thought would last forever, it was just a conversation. And the idea of philosophy is not something that should just be read, it's something that should be lived. And that goes for the virtues that the Stoics live by. There was wisdom, temperance, courage, and justice. There's also moderation in there, but like everyone, everyone knows that. Um, it's about living a good life. It's not just about sort of knowing about a good life. And and Stoic philosophy sort of focuses on not only ways to live, but also also ways to die. Lives of the Stoic is an interesting book. Um, I'm a bit concerned that it's quite history heavy but I'm way more interested in stoicism and like ancient like Greek and Roman philosophies than I am in the settlers in America so hopefully this book will will not disappoint I'm sure it won't I've loved all of Ryan Holiday's work um, and learning about the stoics is an important thing for me because I mean we all want to be a little bit more stoic we could all be a bit more Marcus Aurelius and live by virtues but um, that's my rant on stoicism over there will be a review of lies of the stoic up within the next couple of weeks so you can expect to hear a little bit more of that that is the end of the episode thank you very much for listening um, if you're on Apple Podcasts please just drop us a review that really really helps if you're listening elsewhere then follow, subscribe if you don't already and that is it from me so thank you very very much for listening um like i said at the start of the episode email list i need a couple more emails on there and i'll send you an email once or twice a week and you're probably going to enjoy it i haven't had an unsubscribe for a while now don't take that if you are subscribed as an invitation to unsubscribe because i'd really prefer it if you stayed subscribed um but yeah i haven't had an unsubscribe for a while so i mean that speaks volumes 
another link that will be in the description are links for the books that I've just spoken about. So if you want to support the podcast and buy the book, please use that link. Thank you once again for listening. Take it easy, everyone. Afirazen, goodbye, au revoir.